Welcome to the Dribble Podcast, your weekly fix of all things Perth Wildcats and Aussie basketball. Presented by Perth Now. Hello and welcome once again to the Dribble Podcast, your home for all things Aussie hoops and what better man to talk to about Australian basketball than the sport's greatest ever player in this country, Andrew Gaze. We'll get to him a little bit short, uh, a little bit later on. My name's Chris Robinson from Perth Now in the West, joining me every single week, Perth Wildcats vice-captain and three-time NBL champ, Greg Hire. Greg, great to have you and NBL royalty in the house. Yeah, well, a little smirk went across my face because I thought, geez, this is uh, an unusual introduction. I thought you are speaking on <laughs> My, on my behalf and saying I was the, this, the, the greatest Australian player of all time but yeah pretty pumped uh, to, to get Gazy on board um not going to lie, when uh, I sent the text out to, to, to get him on board, I was just happy to get a message back. said, Andrew Gaze, I took a photo. He's been a, a basketball yeah. idol. He, I, he knows I, who you are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Lucky enough, I've, uh, I've had a trip with him to China and uh, one of the greatest trips I've ever been involved on. So pretty pumped to uh, to ask him a few questions I've, uh, I've had. But uh, we had a great feedback last night on, on Twitter with people with some questions. Mm. And uh, now it'll be, it'll be always good to hear from Gaze. He's very honest. Yep. Looking forward to getting stuck into that. A quick few words about the weekend just gone for you guys. The final weekend of the NBL regular season. A tough loss in Melbourne, though you did rediscover a little bit of form there. And then coming back and playing Cairns and giving them a bit of a beat down on Sunday. What was the most important thing that you guys sort of rediscovered over the weekend? I think your our identity, I think that's clear. And, um, you know, yes, whilst the disappointing result in Melbourne... Um, if you could ever take any positives from a game, there definitely was some. I think we took a step in the right direction in terms of our mindset, and that is really, to, in order to win a championship, uh, defense is going to be the key, and, and it's going to be paramount. And um, yeah, I thought our aggressiveness, just getting in the lanes, not allowing them to catch where they wanted to, not late, allowing a guy like Chris Gouldy and Casper to feel comfortable, uh, was definitely evident. Uh, we just didn't really capitalize on some of those. They got some huge O boards. I think they may have hit six or seven threes off second chance opportunities that's always going to hurt you and and clearly from a team that's regular season champions you can't let them have those opportunities so obviously it showed on on against Cairns um you know we have these defensive targets where we uh identify if we if we tick those boxes we get a win and we we hit six out of seven so that was really good and not only Defensively, we were strong. It allows us to then um, be really aggressive on the offensive end, transition points, gets into our flow, and I think we saw that on Sunday. Um, we shot exceptionally well from the outside, um, but I thought uh, the tone was set defensively, and that that would definitely help. Um, for all the struggles that you guys have had over the past month or two, you finished the regular season as the best defensive team, conceding the fewest number of points per game at 81.1. The three other seasons you've done that in the past four seasons, 2013-14, 2015-16, 2016-17, won the title in each of those seasons. So Good that's omen. a nice omen <laughs> for you. Um, just quickly on the, the bye week for the international break, the Boomers, we know that Jesse Wagstaff and Angus Brandt are both there, but for the rest of you guys, what does it mean? We know that there's a few banged up bodies, mm. demos in a moon boot taking a few days off. What does it mean to have this week to freshen up before going to that playoff campaign against Adelaide? Yeah, it's a unique situation none of us have ever accounted 
before, but um, yeah, as you said, um, as much as well, I guess everyone's telling us now we're an older group, and that is true. I mean, it allowed the luxury of Damo to, to get two cortisone injections and be in a moon boot for the next three days. Mm-hmm. And for a guy like myself who's been recovering with a, with a niggling cough issue, um, it gives me another week to really get on top of things. And um, yeah, I mean, you'd be silly not to take advantage of the break. Obviously, I think there's some things you still need to refine. We had a pretty good solid session today, just tinkering a few things. And um, more so, I mean, um, it is a long, grueling season. We haven't been playing our, our best basketball. Um, you know, we've been, as soon as we've locked ourselves into playoffs, we've just been hoping to get there and to get it all started. So, um, you know, to, to have a week off to... I guess re-energize and refocus will be nice, and then leading into a, which will be a, a pretty um, demanding sort of playoff schedule in so where you could play best of three, best of five. But there's going to be huge uh, challenging against Adelaide, high pace, high intensity lineup. That um, for us, we you know I think this week off uh, will definitely help us out in the long run. Well, as I mentioned, when we're talking basketball, there's no better man in this country to talk to than our finest ever export, and a man who's spent the past two seasons coaching in the NBL as well. I speak, of course, of the great Andrew Gaze. Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time and welcome to the podcast. Uh, no problem. Pleasure to have a chat. Um, you've just finished your second season in charge of the Kings, as I said. It, it wasn't to be as far as making the playoffs go, but you did finish the season as one of the hottest teams in the league, winning six of your final seven. Um, what have you sort of taken out of the past month or so, Andrew? And, and did it make you wonder a little bit what might have been with a healthy Kevin Lish and, and the right imports from the start? Oh, absolutely. I, I think that we... Um we feel really good about the way we finished the season because uh, when you go through some tough times, it can be a challenge to keep the guys all on the same page and, and, and keep the belief. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that it demonstrated that we've got some guys of really good character. Uh, the last couple of years, it's been about our on-floor performance, but uh, as Greg would attest to, that that goes hand-in-hand with the culture of your club and the behaviours and the attitudes and all those types of things that are associated with uh, a successful organisation and uh, we've been working on those as well so it was disappointing that we weren't able to start the season uh, the way we'd like with our, our roster finalised and all the pieces in place and when you've got such an even competition and uh, you give teams head starts it, it, it can get tough and it, it certainly did with us but um, we, we feel confident about the direction we're heading and, and, and hopefully we can continue on that journey. How, how steep has the learning curve been for you, Andrew, both from a, a coaching point of view and also uh, sort of player management and, and player recruiting, and, and also from an on-court point of view, how different is the league and the playing style and the game style compared to when you finished up more than a decade ago? Uh, well, I don't, that's kind of the easy part of it all. I, I think the X's and O's and, and um, putting in place strategies and offensively and defensively, it's just a matter of trying to find the best uh, formula for the, the talent you have at your disposal. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that there are, are many, many coaches that, that have the capacity to do that and, and good basketball knowledge about uh, what systems can work. I think that the real uh, challenge and, and the, the difference when you have such a, a really even competition are those things that aren't, are not necessarily as obvious. It's those relationships you have with the players. It's the way in which you're trying to keep everyone buying into their role and mm-hmm. having guys to sacrifice some of their their, their um, innate skills and abilities in, in order to fit into to a, uh, a cohesive group, 
that's probably the, the biggest challenge. And, and unfortunately, whether it was last year or this year, either due to injury or just some poor decisions, we uh, we haven't had that a comfort level, uh, with the exception of probably the last month or so of this season. So it's been a an ongoing challenge and a learning experience to get that right. And I, I don't think you you ever have the magical formula for that. It, it's it's something that you you learn as you go. And I think that's the reason why. Perth and, and um, New Zealand in particular have been so good is because they've been able to have a consistency in their roster that a lot of that stuff is well known and established amongst the groups and, and the, the coaching staff and administration. Gaze, it's great here. It's, um, I, I've had the pleasure of playing with Kev uh, for a number of seasons and obviously uh, you've spoken highly of him and, and what what has he brought to the club I guess in the last few weeks that we, which have seen this transformation because I mean we've got a shellacking and uh, I think it's a no-brainer with him coming on board but what does he bring I guess from a culture standpoint or, or what's he brought, brought to the to the team? Well I think the combination of him and also Jerome Randall uh, they they hold people accountable and as coaches, we do that on a daily, hourly basis. We're constantly trying to hold people accountable for their performance, their energy levels, their behaviour, um, and other things that go along with, with playing the game. Um, but it is, it is so much more powerful when it comes from the players. And I think both Jerome and Kevin are very, very good at that. They do it in different ways. Uh, Jerome's probably a little bit more blunt than, than Kevin. But when you have uh, guys that are highly skilled that set examples both in, in their behaviour and the way in which they play the game, but also in the way in which they conduct themselves off the floor, that, that, that has a significant impact. And, and Kevin, I think primarily uh, when he came back, it was what the work that he was doing on the defensive end that, that made a, a big difference. Because when you see... Uh, the guys up the floor applying the, the type of pressure on the ball and, and the communicating and really setting the tone, it's mm. it's almost infectious that others follow. And I think that uh, it's like with with you guys, Damien Martin does a great job of that. He's probably the best at it. And um, and, and Kevin, I think, is, is a very good student of the game. He, he understands the context of the game, decision-making, controlling the tempo, uh, he's very good at making those decisions when he's out there. So we we clearly uh, we clearly missed him. Although we don't like to offer that as an excuse for <laughs> our failings at the start of the season, but we we clearly did miss him. With that, have you had to change your identity of of the club? I mean, two years ago, and obviously everyone knows the Tigers and the offense that you guys ran. You you know led the league in how many seasons? Have you had to change the way? I guess when you first came into the league as a coach, the identity of the club. Oh, absolutely. The, the, um, we, we still try to implement some of those schemes that we had when we were in the Melbourne Tigers, but uh, I, I get to talk to my dad every week and, and he doesn't recognise a lot of the stuff we do anymore um, because it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, many of the principles are the same um, and it's, a, it's about trying to find the right formula for the, the, the talent that you have at your disposal and Back in our day, our offense was perfectly geared for the talent we had because we had big guards with myself and Lennard, six 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 seven guards. It's different to what we have now with a five foot ten guy and a six foot one guy. Mm. It's uh, you, you've got to use different offensive uh, schemes in order to highlight their talent. So uh, I think offensively, we, we, even when we weren't going 
all the, we weren't getting the results we were looking for. Offensively, we were okay. We were putting some points on the board at a at a pretty reasonable clip. Uh, it, it's more the other end of the floor that was our problem defensively and uh, and, and on the glass where we really struggled at the start of the season. Andrew, as, as Greg alluded to before, you guys came away with two really big wins over Perth in the, the past few weeks, one over here in WA and, and another blowout win back at home. What do you, Greg won't like me asking this question, but what do you <laughs> sort of see as the key to beating Perth for those teams who are about to play them in the playoffs? Hopefully Joey isn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I think that it, once the playoffs start, it's a different game. Yep. The officiating is vastly different in the finals than it is in the regular season. Now, it shouldn't be, but history shows us it's a vastly different game. It's a lot more physical game. And um, scoring, is it comes at a premium. And I, and I think that, that um, the Wildcats are geared for that. And although they've had some ups and downs throughout the course of the season, even they're, they're the last round of the season, I watched both their games, and I think that the, the, the loss to Melbourne United was... Uh, it was a lot closer than I think the score actually indicated, and, and clearly they did a number on on the Cairns Taipans. And I think that that, um, that, that, that it, it's going to be real contrasting in that uh, will defence or offence prevail? Because I think the Wildcats, uh, the, their defence is is when it's cranked up and they get going, is as good as any in the competition. They, they're very methodical the way they go about on the offensive end. Uh, whereas there's a little uncertainty in regards to Adelaide uh, on how they can, how their style of play will translate uh, in, into playoff basketball. Um, so it's going to be a, a great challenge, but uh, I, I, I have a tendency to lean towards the Wildcats style, provided they have all their guys playing to their capacity, like they did last season. And certainly Wagstaff's form, he's going to be critical uh, we saw Greggy High getting in there and banging in the boards, doing what he does best, and being a nuisance and a pest out there, um, and, and which, is, which is great in the in, in the finals. And um, I think that the, the big man department, uh, Angus Brand, had one of his better games for the entire season. And if they get, if you guys get all your guys playing uh, well, and the Adelaide 36ers are playing well. My goodness, it's a, it's an absolute toss of the coin of which way it will go. So, but usually, history shows us that usually defense will win those battles. But Adelaide got extraordinary offense, mm-hmm. so we'll we'll see. Can only hope. Yep, it'll be a very interesting clash of styles, that's for sure. Andrew, I want to take you back to your playing days um, for a moment, specifically the NBA stint that you had with San Antonio. It's been nearly twenty years now since you won that title. Can you sort of share your thoughts when you look back to those times, when you look back to that stint with the Spurs, what are your fondest memories of guys like Popovich, David Robinson, a young Tim Duncan? What do you sort of think of when you think back to those NBA days? Well, for me, it's, it's, I think of it as just an extraordinary privilege to, to be a part of it. Uh, my opportunities to actually play were, were very, very limited. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was still there during the finals, you're still in the locker room, you're still sharing the experiences, you're still practicing on a daily basis and just a, a, an incredible privilege to be a part of it and, and sharing an, an NBA championship experience. Uh, obviously, you'd love to have contributed more on the floor, but um, I, I think that at the, the age I was, the time of my career, uh, it was like a, just a, the fickle hand of fate just worked in my favour 
to get that experience. And um, and I, I have remember the times of spending with guys like Steve Kerr and and, and just the learning you you, you uh, and the experience you get from being around those guys that like Tim Duncan, David Robertson, Steve Kerr, Mario Ellie, Sean Elliott, Avery Johnson. Uh, they're just real classy guys, and um, the way in which that they uh, operate in the NBA is a lot different to Australia, the, the culture of sport here in Australia. It, it, it's it's very individualistic, um, but somehow in that environment, we were Greg uh, Popovich was uh, able to, to get the guys to buy into a, a system that relied on sharing the ball and uh, a lot more motion than, than stereotypically was the general norm back then and uh, the way in which he got uh, these legends of the game that that, uh, that just had enormous power to buy into a system was, uh, I think, the, was the, the exception rather than norm as far as NBA basketball at that time. Yeah, you, you ended up on that roster, as you've alluded to there, Andrew. You had three guys who would go on to become NBA Coach of the Year. Obviously, Coach Pops won it three times. But Avery Johnson, as you said there, won it in, uh, I think, 05, 06. And then Steve Kerr's become just about the preeminent coach in the league now. Did you sort of recognize the potential of those, particularly Avery and Steve, when they were on the playing roster? Did you recognize their coaching potential? And also, what have you sort of taken away from them? Are you still in touch with any of those guys now to be able to apply those lessons to your own coaching? Uh, absolutely. And um, I think at the time, they certainly had coaching uh, pedigree because the way in which they played and the way in which they contributed to the team, uh, particularly from the point guard position, they were virtually coaches on the floor when they were out there. They, they did it in vastly different ways, but Steve was a high IQ guy that you had to be because he he may have been less athletic than me. Um, he, 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 he wasn't blessed with great athleticism or great uh, DNA. But he, he, he was able to survive a long time in the NBA because he understood the game, he understood his role, he understood his limitations and his strengths and was able to, to minimise the, the, the um, handicaps and the, 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 the disadvantages he had and was able to excel with the things that he could do well. Um, and the same with Avery. You know, he's a guy 5'10 mm. that wasn't particularly explosively quick and couldn't shoot it, and here he is a starting point guard on an NBA team. Now... Clearly, when you're playing alongside Tim, uh, uh, Tim Duncan and David Robinson, you've got a, a bit to work with. But, um, but they, you could tell that they had a, a basketball IQ. Um, and the thing that I take from them, and, and probably also it, w- it was very much parallel to the way in which my dad did things, is that the more you can empower the players uh, and get them to, to understand, buy into a system and, and set the agenda the better off you're going to be. And that's, that relies on two things. Is One is, is you've got to get the right players with a personality to and, and that you can trust to in power. Yep. And they also have to have a, a good basketball IQ and uh, a team-first type approach. And, um, you know, Pop was, was great at, well, here's basically the template. And you'd ask him a question sometimes and say, well, what happens here? It's like, well, you figure it out. Um, so we, we here in Australia are a bit more controlling than that. And, and like I said, when you've got superstar athletes, it's, it's easier to do that. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, you still try to take some of those principles and, and attitude to how you want to run your team uh, into what I do now. And when you win, it's, it's successful. And when everyone, when you don't win, 
everyone thinks you couldn't coach a pig to be dirty. So it's um it's it's just the nature of the game that the, the vast majority of people will judge it on the wins and losses, not on the philosophy and 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 uh, the way in which you're you're trying to implement a strategy. Drew, I want to take you back to 1989. Seaton Hall, um, obviously a very controversial call in the in the semi-final or sorry, final four. But why Seaton Hall? And if a what if, obviously that call and you win the championship, all this. Do you think what could have been? Oh, I, I do. It's we had a we lost in overtime to to, to Michigan, and uh, on one of the we're point up with three seconds to go and. In one of the most atrocious decisions in the history of the sport, uh, we, they called a foul on Ramil Robinson, who was, a, I think at the time, a 54% free throw shooter and was able to knock down uh, two free throws uh, and win the game for him. So it was in overtime. So it was a, an amazing experience and uh, it, was, it was one that I look back on and, and uh, think, well, there were a lot of what ifs in that actual game. Mm. Uh, what ifs or if only, and um, but I, I think that it, it was one that I don't think necessarily whether we'd won it or lost it, it would have had a, a profound impact on my journey. Okay. But but um, but it was one that even though we lost, incredibly grateful for that opportunity because uh, at the time it was just a, a, a freaky situation of being in the right place at the right time with a group of of guys that uh, were on the cusp of greatness that not a lot of people gave much credit to. We were, we were tipped to finish seventh in, oh, excuse me, eight out of nine teams. We were, we were picked to finish eighth in the preseason poll of our conference, let alone mm-hmm. get to the NCAA tournament and, and make a run at, the, at a national title. So it was a, an incredible turnaround and uh, just made a lot of friends and, and, and it gave me an exposure in another country that uh, I it was a couple of years ago, I can still remember walking through are coming through customs um, at at, uh, at LAX, and here I am, a, an old grey-haired, gangly guy walking, coming through customs, and the customs guy looking at me and saying, "Hey, weren't you the guy that played in Seton Hall University?" And, wow. and I guess <laughs> I guess it it demonstrates the power of the NCAA tournament mm. and, and how important it is to the sports culture over there. That that someone some. 16, 17 years later, mm. would be still recognise me uh, from that from that particular game. Why Seton Hall? Oh, what happened was is that uh, the Melbourne Tigers. We did a tour of the Big East Conference back in 1986. Yeah, and uh, I did. We played. We went and played every school in the Big East. And uh, the last game of the tournament of that of that tour was against Seton Hall, and. My dad was really close friends with the, the head coach of Seton Hall was PJ. PJ Klesner, yep. And my dad was really close with his dad. And I, and I had a pretty good game against Seton Hall on that tour. And straight after the game, they wanted me to stay, start school, and, and, and go to the next, uh, start playing the next semester. But I was committed to playing for Australia, and, and yep. my, my whole goals and what I wanted to do was, was go to the Olympic Games and play for Australia. So... Uh, and Sol was coming up, so I declined, And I, they, they, but they kept on me. They kept on me. They kept on me. The assistant coach was John Carroll, who went on to be a, a, a head coach at the Boston Celtics for a short period of time. Uh, he, he just was relentless at calling me for like two and a half years. And eventually uh, the opportunity came up because of uh, 
the Olympics in Seoul, the NBL season was um, was started a little bit earlier, uh, so it enabled me a window where I could go and, and, and go to, to Seton Hall and, and study and help finish my degree here in Australia. So I thought, why not? And um, took up the opportunity, and wow. the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> Drew, Drew, you mentioned the clash of, of culture um, in your in heading over to America. Obviously, one of the first Australian guys to, to make a career over there, either college or professional. The Americans, we know they're a sort of different world to us over here in Australia in terms of confidence, sometimes bordering on arrogance. Do you have a favourite sort of trash talk story from your time on the court, at practice, in the locker room? What can you sort of tell us about some of the big names over there and how they sort of viewed you or how they just went about their business? Well, none that I could probably repeat uh, on here, but, but, but back then it was not only the players that, that got involved in that, but it was more the fans. When you go to some of these college environments, yeah. it's, uh, it, it's amazing the fans and the way in which they would get stuck into you and, and, and it's stuff that, that even nowadays they could never get away with. I mean, some of the stuff that they would yell out, not just to me, to other, was bordering on racist, you know, really nasty, disgusting type behaviour that, that fortunately we've changed a lot from back then. But, um, but, but it's, uh, you know, when you're out on the court, I, I think that here in Australia, whether it was Al Green when I first started in the NBL or it's guys like, Leonard Copeland that I played alongside one of the greatest trash talkers in the history of the sport uh, they did it with I think that the, the best ones that do it with a bit of humour and that uh, that do it in that good spirit that don't necessarily talk about your mum your sister, your, your wife and those types of things which sometimes um, you, you, do, you do get those remarks <laughs> um, Andrew speaking of trash talk and sort of that sort of on court banter Greg was telling a story a few weeks ago about Brad Robbins when he was playing his first NBL season for I think it was the Victoria Titans I think you've just yeah, about uh, recognised where I'm going with this where you shook his hand yeah. and then ducked out the back for a layup how well do you remember that story Oh, there, there are many occasions like that where <laughs> Did every know, rookie. I, I, uh, <laughs> I tried to get out there and um, make the rookies feel welcome and, um, and then uh, qu- quietly tried to go about destroying them and um, hopefully they'd end up in the fetal position in the locker room at the end of the game, scratching their head. Um, and I did it in a less demonstrative way than some of the others. I tried to do, smother them with kindness and um, tried to use that to, to our advantage. But I can remember, Brad, because what happens is you get these young kids <laughs> that come out there all feisty, wide-eyed, yep. and just out there to, 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 to uh, try and build their own reputation, which they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the worst thing they could do in offensively with what we, uh, the structure that we had was some sort of physical pressure was like my eyes started to wide open, would get wide eyed, and my arousal levels would get lifted because I, I knew I, I knew I had a bunny, and I'd be able to backdoor the hell out of him and get the cheapies the whole night because of this anxious rookies out there, and particularly one that was only six foot, and, um, you know, that that uh, was out there for the first time. So, no, that that was um, not that uncommon, but uh, but it also used to come back my way. I remember we were playing in Canberra one time and. Damien Ryan, uh, who yep. you guys might mm-hmm. remember, yep. played in the NBL for one time. He was 
he was there and uh, he would always uh, come on and and he'd, he'd say, I've got I got number ten. I'm taking number ten, and he okay. and he never he never referred to my name, and and, uh, and I always used to look at him and give him a smile, and then and and, and go and try and drop forty on him. <laughs> you would drop forty <laughs> with the NBA. I mean, we've, we're celebrating the the fortieth uh, anniversary of the of the league, um, and rightfully, I'm still bemused that you didn't unanimously every single vote go to you for the greatest player, but. What's one player you would have loved to play alongside? I mean, obviously you've had yeah, Bragdy and, and Copes, but who's one guy you would have loved to, to have on your team during your, your tenure? Well, I was very fortunate that because of the um, opportunities with the Australian team, yep. we got to, I got to play alongside many of those guys as well. It was guys like Ricky Grace, uh, Leroy Loggins, Cal Bruton Sr. Uh, these are the guys who, when I was growing up, that... that you, you're idolised and you want it to be like and, and although I never got to play them in, in a club situation I still got those ex- experiences that um, through through the national team so it, because they get citizenship and, and, and you work with them so uh, I was very lucky that there's not too many along the journey off the top of my head that that, um, that I didn't get that opportunity to, to in some way experience and um, those guys that used to do battle I, I can still remember going Head to head, and, and, and the North Melbourne Giants, Melbourne Tigers rivalry, and, and going head to head with a guy like Scott Fisher, mm. and um, you develop this 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 really competitive competitive spirited uh, relationship with, and, and then you, you you have that experience to play alongside him in the Olympic Games. Uh, it, it, it was just great great uh, feeling to to get both sides of it, where you fiercely competitive but then you get to be on their same team it, it, it makes it uh, it provides a different perspective of those individuals Andrew we've got a few uh, fan questions that have come in we'll run through pretty quickly because we're starting to run out of time the first one from Matthew Murphy who says please thank Andrew for me for being such a great player as a 23 year Wildcats member I love the rivalry that the Cats and Tigers had does Andrew think there is any hope the Tigers can make a comeback to the NBL well, I hope so. I think that the, the, the NBL needs more teams. Eight teams is not enough. And uh, with the history of the Melbourne Tigers and other Victorian-based teams or other interstate teams, that uh, I'd love to see a lot of them uh, come back. And uh, um, the, the, um, there's a real positive vibe and the perception of the game in the NBL right now is, is really good. And I think that there's no doubt that, that Melbourne can sustain a... Another, at least another one, another team, if not two more teams, and um, uh, I'd love it to be the, the Melbourne Tigers. Uh, but if not, you know, we we're fortunate the Melbourne Tigers still exist. They have a very vibrant uh, junior team, probably the most successful junior team in the history of uh, Victorian basketball, and mm-hmm. and they still play in the Seaball. So it's still it's still a club that exists. It exists, but it's um, but it, it it's gonna. You know, it's going to take a, uh, someone with very deep pockets in order to get that started again. And, and, and hopefully that, that opportunity does arise again because I miss it. And it's a very important part of our history. And I think the NBL's history yep. with some of these teams that, they're, that, that, that is missed. For sure. Andrew, Perry Cunningham wants to know, was there ever a time when you realistically considered joining Perth? As the saying goes, <laughs> if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> No, well, we were always very envious of Perth because they have a long, long history of success. Mm. 
but um, but I think that uh, but no, back in our, our times, it's not like you see nowadays where we get more conditioned to players changing teams and and yep. uh, the, I guess the, the the business side of things, particularly in the NBA, where you've got these superstars that that that, that are go about it in a different way. But for us, I, I think the rivalry it was made successful because of guys like James Crawford, Scott Fisher, Ricky Grace, these types of players, and. And, and having guys like Leonard Copeland, Dave Simmons, Mark Brakey, and myself, um, we would not think back of those times as fondly if we were all just chopping and changing and we were all going to play for whatever team was more successful at, during that particular time. Uh, guys, I've got uh, my last question, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. Obviously, uh, you know, as a coach, and we don't have NBA tamping rules like uh, Magic Johnson just got fined for. But if you yeah. could recruit someone from any other club to help build your team, obviously you've got some some pretty exceptional players uh, currently. But anyone that you could get across the league, who would it be, uh, and why? Obviously myself, but no, someone else. <laughs> no, you, uh, but you, you say that, but it would probably. But, but you're right. Players like yourself, there's always uh, spots for them. Those those high character, blue collar guys. Coaches love them, and um, guys that, that understand their role, accept their role, and uh, know their strengths and, and play to them, and don't cause any problems for the superstars. Uh, they are they are they're, they're great, and um, uh, I think to, 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 to keep a, a, a Perth slant on it, this might sound a little unusual, but. Um, Guys like Damien Martin, mm. I think, are, are, are grossly underrated because they may not get the accolades for what they do uh, offensively, but the impact they have on the defensive end is is just as important to someone coming out and getting 40. And the way in which they, um, they uh, defend and have an impact and... and also, probably more significantly, from what I've observed, the way in which they impact a group off the floor, set the tone, hold people accountable. Um, I don't know how much myth and Greg, you'd be able to relate more to it, but the, the, the way I perceive the impact that he has is something that we are, we are envious of, and mm. every single club likes that, that, those types of guys. So they're great, um, but then you, you've got bonafide superstars right throughout this league. Um, you look at every team, I can find a player that I go, I'd love to have him. And and that's a, a, one of the great assets we have right now, and everyone talks about the perception of the competition. The reason we've got uh, good things happening is that the product is really, really strong. Mm. And that's because the player quality is, is off the charts. It is better, it is... You know, everyone talks of the so-called Halcyon days of the 90s, and they were great. But the ta- in comparison, the talent level right now is, is superior to what it was back then, and that's because uh, we've, we've been able to recruit and, and um, build a, uh, an environment where people want to want to play. And even though we don't have all our top Australian players playing here, uh, we have enough, and we have enough elite international talent that makes it uh, really, really special and highly competitive to be a part of. Last question before we let you go, Andrew, really quickly, this one from Sean. Who is your pick to win the title <laughs> this year? Is it going back to Victoria, do you think? Oh, I think Melbourne United are the favourites, mm-hmm. but you really, uh, I'm not as buoyant as others are. I, I think that if, if someone said, well, here, 
I wouldn't bet on the sun coming up, but if, if someone said, here's five bucks and you had to lay a bet, I would bet on the Melbourne United. But um, uh, playoff basketball is a lot different. And uh, I think that those that have experience with that, and certainly Perth and New Zealand are right there. I love what Joey Wright's done uh, with Adelaide 36ers. I love watching him. I love him play, and I'm yeah. really curious to see how that trans- translates into playoff basketball. But, um, but yeah, the Melbourne United, the team I, I, I'd back, but I'm not, as, I'm not as, as, as convinced as what most other people are. Andrew, thanks so much for your time. We really have appreciated your honesty and enthusiasm, and um, hopefully you get a chance to relax a little bit over the next few weeks, take in some playoffs and some March Madness, and uh, all the very best in the prep for the season ahead. Uh, good on you, boys, and all the best, Greg. Cheers, uh, guys. I hope you guys have a, a good campaign, mate. Appreciate it, mate. I'll be uh, expecting a phone call for that next China trip, mate. So, uh, <laughs> so mate, always. You, I tell you, you've given me the ass a couple of times, so, you know. Mate, never. I, give me the ass, I'll stop after. Mate, I've told every single guy it's the best bastard trip I've ever been a part of, so. <laughs> Good on you, buddy. All right. Talk soon. Thanks, guys. See Thanks, you, Andrew. See you, mate. Fantastic having Andrew Gaze on the show. We've got to wrap up, Greg, because we're uh, fast running out of time. A quick crystal ball. We'll look ahead to the uh, the Adelaide series. Obviously, it doesn't start uh, for another or a bit more than a week from now. But uh, my crystal ball across the best of three series, I think you're going to see at least two ejections. Oh, from, I'm not saying which team. There's going to be some sort of feeling. We know that. There's going to be a lot of spice in this series. So I think you're going to see at least a couple of players tossed out during what is likely to be a very heated semi-final series. Do you have a crystal ball for me? Yeah, I'm... Uh out of the, oh, I'm going to put it out here, and I'll put the pressure on Bryce. Hope he's listening. Okay. But uh, I think he's going to go gangbusters at least one game in this this mm-hmm. series. So he will eclipse the 30 point mark in in one of the games. So we can okay. go that. But put in the heat on. Hopefully yeah. Bryce is listening. I'll tell you who won't be listening from now on is Brad Robbins. He would be sick of us. <laughs> How good was guys? Uh, I mean, oh, fantastic. I mean, we're, we talk about basketball royalty, but he's sporting royalty. Yes. And, um, you know, we talked about it before coming in. Um, you know, he, he's an emotional guy, and it mm-hmm. shows in the, uh, on on the TV screens. But you just love it, and I, I could listen to him all day. I mean, he's a guy. If I was, I'd pay money to to hear him. And uh, we only dabbled in his stories about the NBA, yeah, but yeah. I mean, it's crazy what he's done. But it's good to see, I guess, Sydney do well at the back end of the season because uh, I tell you what, Gaze is great for the league, you know. And uh, no, nah, it's it's awesome to to, to for him. Yeah, hopefully for his sake, he'll be on to a winner next season. That's all the time we've got. Greg, enjoy the rest of the Appreciate break. It, we'll see you next week. Thank you. And to uh, all our listeners, stay tuned to Perth Now in the West, and we'll catch you next time. The Dribble Podcast is brought to you by Perth Now, your home of sporting action from home and abroad.